Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John and I'm alone today. Actually, listeners, this is not normal. If you're new, this is normally a father and son conversation, like I said. And I had a whole other uh, intro plan where I just basically just said John and John conversations about discipleship and John, and it was (laughs) was a mess. I figured for anyone, if this is your first time, this is not what the show normally is. I'm alone this week. Uh, my parents went to the Assemblies of God General Council in uh, uh, Orlando, Florida. I was going to say Miami, but I think it's Orlando. And so normally when this happens, we either find another guest, and wish this week I could not do. So this is a call to John Thoughts. This is, uh, or Jim Thoughts, if I'm gone and my dad has to do one alone. And uh, this is basically we just something we talk about, something chewing at us. Normally a little bit of a shorter episode. And there's not always a takeaway. It's just kind of a... Just kind of a fun conversation. This week especially, I have a conversation or a topic that's been really, really interesting to me. And uh, I think it will be for you guys as well. Normally, so we start a normal episode with story time and then just a personal fun story of our lives. And then a meter review later. And oftentimes in the John or Jim thoughts, we have not done this. But because it pertains to this topic, I will tell a story. And because I have something to share, I'll do a media show and tell. So I'll, you'll get both of those this week. How's that for a, I don't know, for a John Thoughts? So I'll start with a story. We, me and Lindsay, are about to move, most likely. We are closing on a house. We're under contract on a house that will close on August 19th. And, you know, God willing, it all goes through the appraisal stuff. Everything should be good to go. We should be good. So anyway, I'm a very nostalgic yes sentimental is the word I was looking for but nostalgic is accurate as well so we have lived in this apartment since we've been married which is now coming on three years and well, actually yeah the day after we close will be our anniversary so basically exactly three years we lived in this apartment it is small it's 600 and change square feet and there's it's one bedroom one bath it is so basically it's pertinent to the story I swear the parking lot goes flush with the second story of the building. So, and then it goes into a little ravine kind of thing, a little bit, a bit trench. So we are on the first floor, not a basement, because you can walk out. We have a, a porch, and if you're standing on our porch, you look up a slope that's about my height, maybe probably a little shorter than that, so six foot. Uh, I don't know, in change. And uh, it's got a big like ivy growth along the hill. It's it's not it's not bad. So, but anyway, if you're in the parking lot, you're technically looking down a brief little hill to our door. And then the bridge, a little like sky ridge goes across from the parking lot to the second floor of the building. Hopefully that, I don't know, makes sense. But basically, uh, recently, you know, I get nostalgic. I'll get into it. But basically the, I don't mourn moving from this apartment. It's a nice apartment. We've been treated well. The, the landlady is amazing. Uh, it's it's been a great place and it's been very cheap. And uh, I just love I love Washington, you know. So anywhere around here is, is a, at the very least, you know, close to beautiful <laughs> at the least. So there was a night where I was. We had just watched the Pixar movie Luca, 
no no kickback on that. It is good. I would recommend you, you watch it. I had a great time with uh, with that movie. It's just about friends. I like that a lot. I like, uh, um, I don't know. There's no like grand destiny or, you know, no chosen one child to save the future. It's just about a guy making friends. It's it's a good one. And after this, I was I was feeling even more sentimental than usual. I was thinking about my friends that I don't see get I don't get to see very often. And so I went out on our little back patio, and from if you look down the little trench, so you, I would see the patios of my neighbors, uh, which they're not really ever out there. It's, it feels surprisingly isolated. I look down the trenches. The sun's already gone down, and I sit on my patio furniture, and uh, I realized a while ago. Because I had kind of, not a sour attitude about this, but I wasn't grateful about my living scenario. And I thought about it, and it's really a unique setup. And the, you know, if you sit and look the way I was looking, you have the Ivy Hill running um, uh, parallel to the wall of the building. So you're just looking down this long trench with Ivy on one side and the, the walk bridges across the way. It's almost fantastical. And this particular night, just uh, by coincidence, a big glowing full moon was in the sky. And I sat there for, I don't know, an hour as it just arced between these two giant pine trees at the end of the trench. Just got to watch it and it was flying. I'm sure it moves the same speed all that. Actually, I'm not sure about that. Maybe the moon moves at different varying speeds. But that night, it was cooking with gas. You could watch it between the leaves of the trees, you know, go. Um, you could see it move. And it was so bright. And it was a great, great memory. And so, you know, that was before we knew we were moving, but now I think, so I'll, I'll let you know the hypothesis of, you know, that's not much of a story. I'll, I'll take that hit, but the hypothesis of this thought is that all of our, um, well, I'll read it to you, basically the, the, the poetic way, but also the only way I can think to word it. The hypothesis of this conversation is time is water. We talk a lot about context, cultural context, and how cultural context is water. It is uh, like a fish in water. Like it doesn't know it's in it until it, and, and we as sentient people can. We can find out that we are in certain contexts. So my hypothesis is that time is the, is the ocean. Time is like the ultimate water. And, uh, and we're all swimming in it. And even if, I, I would say, so I, I try to stray away from hyperbole, but I would say it is maybe the greatest foundational block or and um, in imagery, kind of a converse image to that, the greatest bubble of all of perception of creation. So like, you know, you, we there's a lot of time travel fiction, right? Loki just wrapped up. That was all about time travel. But like, so like at some point, say like they, they claim at some point in the show, minor spoilers for Loki, if you if you care that they are uh, at a, a place kind of beyond time. And uh, and really, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if you are... Like, the way we view eternity, right? Anyway, I'll get into that. But basically, even if I didn't value my home situation that much, which I now do, I, I now, I now um, am, am glad that I live there and I think about it fondly. And even if it was kind of trashy, it's, you know, my first apartment with my wife. Uh, but it wasn't that. It was also unique. It was also uh, pretty. And, uh, the time, the fact that I can never go back there, right? I could theoretically, you know, rent maybe even in the realm of possibility, I could rent that exact apartment again in the future, but I'm never going to. And short of that, I'm never going to return to this apartment building unless my, one of my friends lives here or, you know, some act of God or something. I'm, I'm never going to find myself there on accident or, or in the course of my life. So I, uh, it is rare 
that's what I'm talking about. So the first bullet point to that hypothesis is, um, well, one that, like I said, time is the, I call it here, the the machinery of consciousness of life of creation is the workings of our perception of reality. And it's why, you know, we can't really picture certain things, uh, because our perception is so much, you know, there's, I'm going to get more into that. I swear I'm, I'm, I'm heading myself off a little bit. It, so, so this point time prescribes value to everything, everything ever. So, uh, uh, tragedies, right? Uh, the sinking of the t- Titanic, not quite a tragedy anymore. Like, you know, it is, it it's definitely a tragedy, but it's not a good thing, but all of those lives would now be over. Right. So we can, you know, uh, wait, let's go way further back. Like the black plague, right? Terrible, terrible. Like what a third of all of the population of humanity or at least of Europe, I think wiped out, maybe worse than that. Um, that was so long ago. We are so far removed from that in time that the pain is gone. No one's mourning the black plague. No one even, we don't even know who, you know, 99% of those people were. We have no record of them. So this is kind of what I mean. The, the value of it, uh, uh, changes even in our own personal lives, you know, time heals all wounds, quote unquote. But, uh, our perception is so reliant on time that even terrible, terrible tragedies are just, you know, they, they change from tragedies to just moments to just things. So, that's a big part of it. Uh, they prescribe value to relationships and love, you know, a a couple that is, you know, been married for 70 years, you know, their marriage might be more valued or more, maybe not valued, but more respected. The, the love is more there. 70 is a long time. Or did I say 50 or 70? doesn't really matter. Let's say 25, you know? So, uh, but part of the tragedy part and part of the love thing is the same thing. Like a, a child dying is a worse tragedy because of the potential of time. The, they had more potential. An elderly person dying could still be a tragedy, but it's mourned less because they lived their time. They lived an average time uh, where the, the potential is lost with uh, youth. And so converse, it's almost converse with relationships and love where they had more time together. It, it became a more uh, authentic relationship where they knew each other better. But it, time prescribes value to, to moments, everything. Like I said, even... If, um, uh, the devaluing of tragedies into just moments or the uh, almost almost sacred moments like the one I had on my just patio watching the the you know full moon just kind of like it, it, they they either enrich in nostalgia in our personal lives or in the scale the history of the world and the history of even personal lives like I said of personal tragedies they decrease in value but this all in my opinion uh, uh, I'm reading off of I have notes. I'm very bad at this. I think I, uh, and this isn't the kind of thing like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like if a person were to say they don't look very good and they're waiting for compliments. That, that's not what this is. I'm serious. I have notes. And every time I try and talk from notes, it's just a mess. And I really should get better at it. So maybe this will help. So next I, you know, these are all, these all feed what I say, what, what I mean, what I mean when I say our perception of creation is entirely time reliant. So uh, this includes, you know, like I started saying earlier, the paradoxes of creation, right? Of God. We say God was never born. He was, he's always been, and he always will be. So that is to skeptics and to believers. That is hugely not understandable. That is, you could, you would call it a paradox. You'd say, well, uh, he had to have been created. The same paradox exists with the big bang, you know, 
how could something come from nothing? But that is all reliant on our perception of time, right? So we would say, no, that must be, you know, the, the humanist or the humanist perspective might say that paradox or that fallacy must be corrected to my perception of time. You know, God must have been born or, uh, you know, we must, we must fit the eternal truths into our perception of time. And I think that that is, well, one, that's, that wouldn't be the truth. And two, that that means that all of our perceptions of time is, uh, um, is skewed. So these seeming paradoxes are only paradoxes because of our position in time, right? Like I said, like, like with God, that they're all, uh, um, time reliant. And, and that is, these are all based on, I'm showing you the different perspectives of this to, to back up this kind of hypothesis. Um, so a big part of this, in my opinion, is if time is water, right? If that's, if that's what I'm talking about, or, uh, like our bubble, it is my personal belief that even though like right now I'm talking about this, right? So you think, if you're viewing it like the matrix or something like, Oh, I'm breaking out of the matrix. Cause, uh, cause I'm talking, I'm verbalizing this idea. I believe that the idea that, uh, my perception of time is entirely subjective or that nothing I, I perceive is quite true because of my completely subjective view of time and place in time, even though you can verbalize that or you can, um, I don't know, the opposite of subconscious. You can um, intentionally think it in your brain. I don't think any human can uh, ever, ever, ever internalize this truth in a practical way. So say you experience a terrible tragedy. I don't think any sane human could have internalized this truth about time in a way to not mourn. And I would say, you know, it'd be creepy, obviously, if a person was like, well, you know... (laughs) In uh, 600 years, no one's going to give a rip about this because I will be dead and the person who just died will have been dead. You know, that that's insane. That's not even, that's not a, something to strive for even. So then if the objective truth, the objective perspective of creation and of time cannot be internalized and maybe should not be internalized, then, uh, um, well, that... I don't, then what? I'm not entirely sure, but that's my, that's my hypothesis is that because we are so immersed in this and unlike culture, that's why I think this supersedes everything because our personal culture and upbringing, you know, you can't, you can to a much greater extent, not to an entire extent, but to a much greater extent, you can, um, transcend these things, you know, to uh, break kind of, uh, what's the word generational, uh, cultures and, and, and practices and things that, you know, we see that happening. I don't think the same could be, uh, could be said about time. So, uh, if this is true, like I was saying, if, if you can't escape it and if time really is impossible to see f- in truth objectively, because it's impossible to see in truth because it prescribes value and meaning and, uh, everything, even, you know, moral statements, it prescribes all of that to everything that we see and know then nobody can ever claim to even be slightly objective or capital T true. They can never claim to have a true worldview until eternity. So on this earth, if we can't transcend a, maybe the word's temporal. I don't know if I'm using that right. If we can't transcend our personal contemporary view of time, 
then we could never claim to have an objectively true worldview. Uh, that poses a problem for everybody, but, you know, largely or equally everybody probably, but also, you know, monotheistic believers, Christians, it, you know. But so here's here's the but to that, because obviously I believe that the Christian worldview is correct, you know, and the person, the devoted Muslim probably believes the Islamic worldview is correct. But I believe that there is a miracle here. So the the current hypothesis would be on earth, you can't transcend that, but in eternity you could. Right, because because if God is outside of time, again, an idea that we in no way can at all really imagine. Right, so I can I can say that, I can say God is outside of time. You know, a thousand years to God is a day, a day is a thousand years. Um, but what I what I, if God is outside of time, and I believe we can't really, like I said, I can say that God is outside of time. I can say that I believe that, and I do believe that. I can't ever really in my human brain know what that even begins to look like because even you know 20 seconds ago is time so to say he's outside of time we only perceive things linearly through time so then my question is what if so we are told that we begin the eternal life now there's the the um not a paradox but the uh the tension there of we have been saved uh, we are being saved and we will be saved. So obviously we will have new bodies. We will, you know, we will be new. We are new creations. We are becoming new creations and we will be fully new creations. So if we can currently, if we are being saved, we are being made in new creations. Is that a miracle of the perception of time? So in an internalized way, again, is what I mean. So say the joy that a a Christian has through the spirit, they uh, are, they're saved. They know Jesus. They get the spirit as a deposit of their salvation is part of the miracle. There, the, the joy, the joy that we have through Christ, is that the joy of an eternal or a true, a non temporal, again, if that's the word, I think a non temporal view of time is that the joy of the eternal, objectively true view of creation of time of the whole world. Does that make sense? So like that joy that you have in Christ is the internalized version version of that view. Because again, intellectually you can say, yeah, I, I can, I can kind of imagine that I can believe that. But the, the joy in terrible, terrible circumstances, Malcolm Gladwell had a kind of, he's an author, he's great. He wrote uh, Outliers, which I'm sure I'll talk about. Maybe I already did as a show and tell. Um, but anyway, if I if I don't, he or didn't, he wrote a great book about statistics. He's a great author. I mean, not just that. that, that book is Outliers. He wrote, he's written many books. He's, I think, was on, he's, he's the man. He's one of my heroes. And he had this experience where he's kind of basically agnostic for a long time. And he interacted with a family who's a perpetrator had somehow, I can't quite remember, but had somehow taken the life of their daughter. So it was either a, a driving accident or it was he had kidnapped or killed her. Or I can't quite remember, but he had spent time with his family for some writing he was doing. And he was uh, floored with the this again, this internal truth. So this family didn't just say they believed these things about where their daughter was now about the, the, they believe these things about the perpetrator, about his the worth and potential for salvation and, and freedom. They lived this. So, so that's a, a big dichotomy about what I'm talking about, but 
the uh, Malcolm Gladwell's experience with these people living the these truths about you know about with God in them the the, the miracle of changed creations just going about there this particular uh, tragedy uh, changed Malcolm Gladwell. This was a huge missional kind of experience for for him. This this changes view of God, and I read this years ago. I read this in high school. This this um, report from his own mouth about uh, this family and how he became a Christian. So I don't know, I don't know if it's stuck, you know, to put it kind of uh, roughly, but that's what I mean with the internalized truth where that family didn't have to, well, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was an effort to forgive this guy, but they didn't have to force their bodies, right? Cause they had, it was a miracle. They had the spirit in them, the indwelling of, of Jesus. So what if in, in, if time is the machinery of creation, if time is how we perceive then what if the machinery of salvation, of sanctification, is an objective view of time? Seeing it even a little bit, just a little bit, the way it really is, the way God sees it, the way it is outside of our crazy little distorted time bubble. And and if I believe that in eternity we'll see it that way fully, but what if the miracle is that we see it even just a little bit while still on fallen earth, while still in fallen bodies, and that is part of the power of of uh, sanctification of salvation. My last note is uh, even if all this is true, who really like, what's the, <laughs> what's the, so what, who cares? Because if it's true, then it doesn't like, like if you already believe that sanctification and the indwelling of the spirit leads to internalized uh, changes the way that on the spot in a, you know, like I heard a speaker say once, he was in a car accident and he said, and he reacted, you know, kindly on the spot and the family, or it was a woman who hit his, a very, an elderly woman who hit his car. And he, because he was already the way, uh, I, the way I would say it is the way he was already abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in him. He's on the vine, right? He's uh, dwelling on the vine and, and bearing fruit already. When this crash happens, he doesn't, he doesn't react in anger and then force himself to correct right? He's not fighting his frustration because he already had these fruits of the spirit because he had been, he had been, uh, Christ had been abiding in him and vice versa. He was immediately not mad because his view of his possessions, even his car that he had just got was God's car, right? And so he was able to respond to this woman really kindly immediately, where if he had, you know, got out and, you know, was furious and then had been, Hey, no, it's okay. You know, it would have been too late. So that's what I mean. The eternal internalized kind of thing. If we believe that sanctification and the salvation of the spirit, the, the being saved part of that is that, that power, that internalized power. And then it doesn't really matter the machinery of it. We don't need to know that, you know, that's for God to know anyways. And, uh, and if you just believe the first part that we can never escape or, or we can never internalize this view of time. We can never es- escape our, um, a very, very small and specific view of the events of the world in time. Then what's the point of talking about that even? Because we can never escape it. And uh, to all of that, I would say this is fun for me. This <laughs> this conversation, this thinking, this is this is a good time. I don't know. I, I'm sure it is for a lot. I don't think I'm unique in that. I think it's fun for people who just like to think about things. And that's the point of, I guess, a John Thoughts is that I don't have a great takeaway. This wasn't a practical aha. This was just a fun. This To me, this is a Rubik's Cube. This is, you know, a, this is a toy. This is an action figure. Just playing with it. I've said to my dad, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but most of my time spent thinking about these things is, is trying to break things down to 
their elements to the very, very smallest they can be. And I think that's futile. It's kind of a Sisyphus thing, you know, pushing the boulder up the hill and it rolls down again because it gets smaller every time. It's like you break down, you're like, I think I found the bedrock of, of just anything, of 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 uh, creation of the things of God, of, of existence, what it is to perceive. Uh, trying to break things down at the very smallest point to try and just get a grip on, on something. And just every time you think you found it, it just splits again and you find smaller things. This to me, and because, and the, part of that is part of the reason why I try to avoid hyperbole, like this is the biggest thing, this is the most true thing, is because of that exact experience of mine. But I really do feel secure on a lot of these more grandiose statements about time uh, because it just seems so real to me. You know, we, in history, like uh, in, in a moment in history, you know, what do we really know about these events going on? And then far later, when we have context from events going on around the world, we have the context of events happened that happened later. You know, I I feel like I haven't done a great job verbalizing this, but that is what I mean when I say it was a shock to me, this realization that, oh my goodness, if your place in time is that much of a, has that much of an impact on just how you value things um, your morals, your, you know, anything, your, your judgments on certain events or actions, then that, that changes the whole game. And if it's that unreliable, if it's that much of an illusion, if it's all, if it's not, it's not necessarily fake, cause it's not anything you can escape, but if it is all kind of not r- the, the most accurate truth, then we really are all just kind of grasping in the dark. And that's why this, uh, interaction of the spirit is, very, very true. I've said the word a few times, but I really mean it would be a miracle. It would be an absolute miracle to actually right now, uh, internally see time or feel time the way that the almighty does. So that's the gist of it. I think I did. Okay. I would love to hear from anybody if this was interesting or helpful, or if you even made it this far, how about this? I'm going to say a word that if you made it this far, just comment this in the on the Instagram post or send it to us in an email the word will be stapler because it's on the desk so just say stapler and uh, and I'll know that you made it here and I'll know that no one's fooling with me all right so the show and tell just for fun more for me than for anybody else because I like talking about things that I like uh, is another jazz album the reason I'm going to talk about this one is because I know if my dad was here he'd be rolling his eyes about it I figured I got to capitalize on him being in Florida this the only reason is so it's a, it's a jazz album. The only reason he'd be rolling his eyes is because it's um, the artist's name and all this the track names are in Japanese. So it's it's kind of hard to um, well the album art is the album art has his name in English. So the album is called Cat by Hiroshi Suzuki. He's the he's the musician and um, it's really good. It's 1976, obviously um, Japanese uh, jazz album and through you know there there's some really bad jazz music out there and that era i think the late 70s all the way through you know basically through the late 90s there's a lot of bad or just maybe at the time it wasn't bad again see the whole conversation on time and subjectivity um but from this point in time a lot of it's pretty rough you get some of it that's very prescient. You get a lot of it that's like, did that guy see the future? Like Herbie Hancock's uh, Watermelon Man? Oh my goodness. Like that could have come out yesterday. But the majority of it is not that way. So that's why this album to me is so uh, very unique. One, 
it's kind of niche. I, I found this, I don't remember how I found it, but um, according, at least I'm looking at the numbers on Spotify, it's pretty niche. Um, and it's very, very good for a kind of bad era, but it uses a lot of the things that um, jazz in that era was doing poorly. It does them well. So lots of like, you know, interesting kind of synthy uh, keyboard stuff. And a lot of it is more traditional. You know, a lot of it is you'd go, yeah, this is, that's a prototypical kind of style of jazz music. But that's why, again, why I want to suggest it. If you haven't listened to a ton of jazz, it's in Japanese. But if you type in, again, I'll say it, Hiroshi Suzuki, like the car of the last name. Hiroshi, H-I-R-O-S-H-I. Uh, it'll come up. In, the Japanese name will come up even on Spotify if you type it in English. And uh, it's really good. I would say I would say the the track names for you, but they are in Japanese. Um, so I'll just number them. The first one, if you start the first one and you're not crazy into it, then this might not be for you. But at least go to uh, the uh, second one. There's a one and two. How about that? That'll be easy. Listen through at least half of one. They're long songs. Song number one is seven minutes. The second one's eleven minutes. So if you get through halfway of the first one, maybe even less. You, and you don't like it, skip to the second one. And if you can't get, if you don't enjoy the second one, I'm not even all 11 minutes, if you can't enjoy the first quarter of the second one, then then get out of there. It's okay. My feelings aren't hurt. I talk, We talked to John Corcoran a, a few weeks ago now, and he didn't like one of the albums I put, and I can honestly say, no hard feelings. It's all subjective, especially music. So, uh, but one more time, the album is called Cat. Um, it's pretty good. I, I really like this album. So, anyway... Thank you guys so much. Uh, again, code words stapler if you <laughs> if you got this far. And uh yeah, oh my goodness. So you can find us at jimandjohn.com is the website. Uh you can find us on Instagram at jimandjohn. Uh you can email us at info at jimandjohn. And there's never an H in the John, just J O N and all that. Normally again, our episodes are very much different. My dad is here and we have conversations about some more standard discipleship, more, more practical, I'll say more practical, more, uh, um, helpful things on discipleship, discipleship, excuse me, and culture in the Pacific Northwest. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next week for uh, a normal episode. Talk to you then.